All right, let's just get it going. This is a podcast called The Big Four with Ron and Peter. I'm Ron. I'm Peter. This week, it is uh, early March of 2023, so that means we're going back to March of 1983. And the only movie opening uh, this week is 10 to Midnight, the Charles Bronson, J. Lee Thompson, Golan Globus, uh, I, I would say cult hit at this point. I, I don't know. People talk about it, I feel like, but I also feel like a lot of people don't know about it. And uh, that is their fucking loss because this movie is, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's a good movie, but it's an insane fucking trip. It's insane for sure. It's it's fun <laughs> as hell. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm glad we're going to get to go through it and uh, uh, you know I, I watched this movie a couple years ago I think sometime during the pandemic uh, on Tubi uh, thanks all, all praise and thanks to Tubi it's they've, they've got these movies just you know ready for us ready to go for this podcast uh, <laughs> I think probably anything between 82 when we started and I would say 93 or whatever is probably going to be pretty well covered on on Tubi but um I, I kind of forgot a little bit about it, which seems crazy because this movie is fairly unforgettable. I remember the the naked killer and I remember Bronson walking around with sex toys and stuff like that. But um, I think I watched it a little more intently for for this one. And uh, it's it's one hell of a movie. I don't know. Had you seen it before? Or? No, I had no, never, never seen, seen it. it. Okay. I, I think I remember it from, from back the video in the day. Store. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There, there was always a bevy in the action section of Charles Bronson movies. Yeah, especially those and that 80s one uh, Golden mm-hmm. Globus and Canon film uh, ones. Yep. Um, I'll say it uh, opened on March 11th of 1983. It had a budget of $4 million, made $7 million. So the barometer of success nowadays is you have to at least double your budget because of marketing costs and blah, blah, blah. I don't know if that was the case back in, in those days. So I think the fact that it outpaced its budget um almost doubled it i think makes this film quite a hit and even if not like i said it's uh it's certainly garnered a uh, a cult following as the years have gone on um bronson is smack dab in the middle of his whatever you call this era i mean i he we talked about this a little bit with death Lewish too he's supposed to be a, a actor of some renown i guess but what the fuck man like <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of Bronson in this movie? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I read a couple reviews, including Ebert, and they're like disappointed that Bronson is doing movies like this. But then I think about his earlier career, and it's not like he was Sir Lawrence Olivier, which we discussed in Death Wish Two. Right. This seems right up his wheelhouse in, ter- uh, in terms of me. Yeah, well, yeah, in terms of what we grew up with and what we're watching now, it, it seems like him. But I also feel like he had a, um, I don't know, what the, uh, not a bigger career necessarily, but he had a, uh, I, I think he was critically accepted as a, as a great actor at some point, right? I mean, even even if it was in genre movies like Westerns and uh, stuff like Death Wish, I, I, it's, it's funny to watch these if you have no other context of Charles Bronson and accept the fact that he was a critically acclaimed actor at some point, I mean, yeah. he, he's not terrible in this, but he's, he, he, you know, his pitch is all wrong. His tone is all wrong. His timing is all wrong. Um, everybody in this movie is, is like that. And that might just have to do with the lower budget, but he's not, he's not just some new guy in the, in the early eighties, like just making his first movie, you know, he's been doing this for 20 years at this point. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
or, or more. A lot more subdued than Death Wish 2, but even in that, he's not uh, a bombastic actor. Yeah, but it's mostly just his line readings. The way he says everything is just so, like... There's that scene right at the beginning where he's driving in the car with his new partner, and uh, and this movie's tropey as hell. Like, new partners, like, everything about this movie is just, like, right off the fucking, uh, you know, the dartboard in the office. But um, he's he's talking to his partner, and they mention the name of the victim, and he's like, oh, jeez, no! <laughs> and he's like, do you know him? He's like, yeah! Like, grew up with his father, you know, whatever it was, or, or my daughter and her daughter are friends, I think is what he says, and it's yeah, just, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's fine, like it's funny and sort of endearing and adds to this movie's charm. But the idea that you know this is Bronson, just that's the level of acting he's at now is right. Is, and I don't know, maybe maybe uh, you know a sinking ship. Wait, what's the phrase? A, a rising tide raises all ships, or maybe a. A sinking tide sinks all ships, you know, maybe the fact that he's with uh, right. <laughs> with Cannon now and he's just phoning in these paycheck rolls and he's demanding. Um, I read somewhere that um, he made all these movies in the 80s because he could. Cannon was notorious for just for getting a big star like Norris, uh, Bronson, Stallone, whoever, whoever it was in the 80s. And they would pay them a lot of money. And that was a majority of the budget of the movie, and they would kind of skimp on everything else. And they basically sold the movies on the the big actors' names and it's star sort of power. power. Yeah, and it was sort of like the the inverse of the direct to DVD thing that happened a decade or two later, where you know when a when an actor was not box officely viable anymore, they could still have a huge career on straight to video and straight to DVD. So that's how you have your Seagal's and Dolph Lundgren and some of the stuff those guys did in the late 90s and 2000s and whatnot but um so it's kind of like that model only in theaters where as long as you can get butts in the seat based on this guy's name then it's worth it and i don't know if uh, bronson just decided like well if if i'm making these crummy movies i'm also going to give a crummy performance or what but there's just nothing in the later death wishes this movie some of his other uh when this movie ended um auto played uh, the evil that men do on Tubi, and I watched the first yes, maybe yes. fifteen minutes of that or something, and you know he he was no better than that. And I just feel like at a certain point he's just like I'm, uh, you know, I, I'll take the money, but I'm not going to actually give you anything here because the movie around me is so whatever. Yeah. But that said, yes, I can understand bad reviews at the time, but you can't account for uh, nostalgia and how things age. And now everybody's kind of into this as this crazy, uh, ridiculous you know, over the top, got to see it to believe it sort of quasi slash movie. It's a lot like silent rage with uh, Chuck Norris, which we did. Uh, I I haven't posted. Which was also a Canon movie, movie, right? It was. And I thought it was, I remember saying it was, but it it turns out it wasn't, but same, uh, same genre, same time, same basic idea of let's just throw this guy in a, in a low budget thing that has all the, hallmarks of the day and and therefore you get these kind of slashery half-ass you know friday the 13th meets dirty harry type tropes and stuff and it's just that's what these movies are and and okay fine they're not good on any uh technical level but as that i mean they definitely deliver the fucking good silent rage and and this one is are are pretty nuts i don't know what what did you think of uh 10 to minute i i I love, I love Ten to Midnight. Midnight. <laughs> I, I 
was laughing throughout. I was like uh, audibly gasping at certain parts. Just to, just that you know, a guy will get shot in the head and it'll just blow through the other side in that kind of quick, random way. Yeah. And some of the lines, obviously, were uh, just amazing. I mean, every performance in this movie is uh, completely nuts. The the killer, um, <laughs> I, his some of his speeches, <laughs> that killer. Oh my god! So it's Warren Stacy is the name of the killer. He's played by Gene Davis, who I don't I don't know that I know from anything else, unless he you know really looked a lot different. He was in a couple of these. Uh, he was in he was with uh, Bronson in '88 uh, in Messenger of Death, which I haven't seen. Um, but I'm assuming it's I'm, I'm almost 99% positive. It's another Canon uh, Bronson action movie towards the end of that whole run and reign. And um, I, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's very similar in terms of quality. Uh, he was with, with Al Pacino in, in the movie cruising 1980, which is another one that I think was kind of poorly reviewed at the time and mostly uh, ignored, but it's gained something of a, of a cult following as time. Cult following. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But uh, other than that, you know, he, he's uh, he's in some stuff like The Hitcher, uh, Universal Soldier, Stay Tuned, The Relic, um, some TV stuff. But uh, yeah, he, he he's one of those guys who you, he's he's got the look, and you can see why they put him in the movie. But man, what a <laughs> what a weird performance! I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I took I took a lot of notes on this movie more than I normally have because I was enjoying it so much. Yeah, uh, the the picture that he has in his own apartment of in black and white with him doing a karate pose. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was killing me. Yeah, uh, I know it's it's a very very strange movie. Um, and, and it brings up something that we've kind of talked about before, where it's just like in 83, this movie going into theaters with, you know, a, a big star and uh, a, a fairly sizable budget. I mean, I, I don't know, $4 million or whatever in, in 83. I'm not sure where that lands it in terms of, you know, blockbuster filmmaking. I'm sure that's still low, but just the idea that they couldn't come up with, you know, just do a couple more takes to make that one, one line reading not sound right. so ridiculous or, or whatever it was. But, but again, we wouldn't be looking back on it 40 years later with this sort of endearment of man, this thing is fucking crazy and, and super weird. And um, it's definitely a nice little, little curio, but well, you said you took a bunch of notes. Why don't you uh, walk us through this one? You don't have to necessarily go ploppy by ploppy, but whatever you want to general you know, synopsis. Yeah, you know. Um, so we, so have, we have Leo, Leo Kessler, Kessler is played, played by, by Charles, Charles Bronson, Bronson, obviously, and he's a uh, your usual hard-boiled hard cop. cop. And there's and a killer, killer on the, on the loose, loose, and you and learn pretty quickly who this is, the Warren Stacy. And also, there's a subplot of Leo's daughter Lori, who's a nurse, and he is not paying as much attention to her as she would like or as he should. Yeah, as a uh, that, grown woman, although I guess it probably goes back to issues in their yeah. past. She's always like, he was never around. He's always a cop. He was always uh, on the... I forgot what the phrase was, but she's talking to his new partner, who we'll get into in a minute, played by uh, Andrew Stevens. And uh, 
She's like, oh, yeah. He's like, why don't you cut him some slack? He's a cop. He's got to be out there on the on the line. Or they use like a, a phrase and I forget what it was. But then she's like, well, because he was out on the line, he never uh, was there for me as a you know a kid or whatever. And yeah. so his daughter's a nurse now. And uh, she's yeah. also targeted by the killer eventually because this is that's the kind of movie this is. But <laughs> sorry, jumping ahead. But I'm just, no, that's all right. She's uh She's played by Lisa Eilbacher, who a year later was probably at her biggest role in Beverly Hills Cop. Right. And didn't do much after that. I actually read that she retired in 95 from acting, which she had only been in her 40s, probably. But huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Beverly Hills Cop's the only other thing I recognized her from. Um, I, I don't have her filmography in front of me, but I looked it up. And yeah, you're right. There wasn't a whole lot on there worth uh yeah, it's weird how you can be in one of the biggest gentleman. movies of all time. I think Beverly Hills Cop was like the—I don't know if it was the highest-grossing, whatever. I'm sure there was a caveat, like highest-grossing action movie of all time, or yes. you know, highest-grossing movie of 1984, or whatever it was. Uh, and you know, you think your star would only rise, but yeah, unfortunately, she didn't do much at all after that. that. Yeah, maybe it was by choice. Who knows? But right, just pick the wrong. So the. Story. Sorry. Sorry, the uh, yeah, the killer yeah, that, that uh, Leo's uh, after is, is Warren Stacy, as we mentioned, and he thrives almost off rejection from women. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> just go... <laughs> to an insane degree, I mean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I should, I should mention to an insane degree. <laughs> So he, he works he, he's like an office worker. I, I don't really know exactly what he does. Some sort of uh, like, I, I don't know. What, is, what does that place do? Like they, they are, they sell some sort of equipment if, or something. I, I don't, I don't know. Exactly if they said it, 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 uh, it's uh, skipped past, past my brain. brain. I didn't, it looked like some sort of office job. job. Yeah. It was just a bunch of cubicles and, and he's trying to always uh, put his advances on the women that he works with there. And uh, they, they all think he's relatively creepy, although uh, he's a good looking guy. Like on, on paper, you know, if you saw him, he's in shape. Even uh, when uh, Bronson confronts him as a, as a suspect the first time, um, they walk into his apartment and they see his, you know, your, your aforementioned karate poster of himself. And, <laughs> and they're like, oh, you know, you look pretty good. Or like, you stay in shape or you keep in shape. And he's like, yeah, you know, karate is a great way to, stay in shape or something and and then he, the first scene is him like getting dressed in front of the mirror and just kind of dancing to some <laughs> shitty music and just looking at how how good he thinks he looks and you do get the sense that it's not necessarily that he cares or whatever he just wants to be able to present himself as this attractive normal guy to the the people he's going to eventually try to worm his way into and kill but yeah <laughs> it's it's a little funny that this guy who on paper seems to be normal and good looking and attractive and whatever. And, you know, put together, but also it has to be a complete psychopath who has to kill all these girls rather than just get dates with them. I guess I, I think his, isn't his motive is he's rejected. So therefore that's why he kills them. That's, that's it. it. That's, 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 that seems to be, to be it. it. Any so lady that, 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 why is he rejected? He wrong? He's ostensibly a attractive guy, I guess. I don't know. It seems like, Exactly. exactly. Well, I, I mean, I guess he's kind of acts like a creepy weirdo, so maybe that's the reason. Everybody picks up on the on the vibes he's <laughs> laying down. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he gets he gets, uh, he gets, he gets a, a little, little too clingy, clingy and, and close, close and, and right. 
he he reminded me, I guess maybe a little bit because of the running down a hallway naked a lot, but of the Christian Bale American Psycho and of Ron circa 1999. Yeah, I've got a video in uh, San Antonio where we were like, oh, the hotel's empty. Let's just do this. It's not something I'm gonna oh show anybody. Yeah, I'm just saying it, it happened one time. <laughs> Subscribe to our Patreon for bonus yeah. coverage. Is there a way we can get uh, those little VHS tapes from camcorders somehow put onto the fucking internet? Absolutely, Absolutely. there is. The correct answer is I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I was able to get my one and only touchdown from high school from a camcorder onto nice computer. Yeah. Well, if worse comes to worse, you can always do what I do a lot, and that's like put it on and then just like you know film it with your phone or something. And, oh, there you oh, go. There you go. Then you got it. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Uh, I digress, though. Uh, so his attempts at you know flirting you know, don't work. Women feel he's creepy, and uh, they they obviously can read him pretty well because he's definitely a fucking weirdo. Um. And so the movie starts with him going to this movie theater, right? And he's, he's yes. you don't know this till later, but he's establishing an alibi by hitting on some women and making himself look creepy. So they leave him. He leaves the theater during that to go commit a homicide, comes back, and it's before the movie ends. And the girls walk back up the aisle and see him in the seat where they left him and assume he's been there the entire time. And that helps him out later. So. Anyway, sorry. Doing all his I know murders you're the one running was... this. I just oh no, <laughs> no, that's no, good. good. Doing all his all murders naked, naked was actually pretty, pretty smart. smart. Yeah, Which yeah. yeah. That's the thing about this movie is that he he kills everybody naked, and the excuse is just so he's got no blood in his clothes. And then Bronson, and we're getting ahead of ourselves, but he tries to set him up later on because they can't like catch him legit. That once again, that old trope. I mean, this movie's got. It should have been called like trope the movie. There's just trope, trope the movie, fucking yep. shit after shit after shit that you've seen in every movie. But um, he he's he starts flipping out. He's like, "There's no, he, they don't have my DNA. There's no blood on my clothes. I know that for a fact." And he starts like trashing the room and throwing chairs on the wall and stuff. And <laughs> he's, but he can't just flat out say, "Well, I don't, I don't wear clothes when I kill people." But right, right, yeah, even in front of his own attorneys. Right, except for the fact that uh, then this movie is just also, it's just another way for it to kind of revel in this weird sexual shit of this guy's always naked when he kills people. That first scene, the, the first victim, the girl he kills, she's running through the woods. In the van? Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. she's in the van having sex with somebody else. He stalks her, um, attacks her, kills the dude, and then... Uh, chases her naked through the woods and then in a very weird scene she goes and cowers behind a tree rather than keep moving she she outpaced him quite a bit and i don't know yeah, if she yeah. doesn't know where to go or what but uh she just sits there he finds her there's there's literally like two minutes where she could have been doing something else and she's sitting there she could have ran, ran somewhere. somewhere and then he comes in finds her and she still just sits there and screams and screams and screams and doesn't try to move doesn't try to do anything and then he just stabs her and uh yeah like come on i, I he even he goes, goes and finds, finds her, her and then has, and to, has walk to walk around, around to go get to her yeah, he like, sees her she sees him running. see her and she just sits there continuing yeah, yeah. to scream and like cower behind the tree and then just waits for him to come up and fucking stab her yeah yeah super weird 
there is a lot of scenes which we'll get to one one part in particular later that end somewhat abruptly yeah well wait before you get too far ahead of it the very first scene well yeah well that the very first scene is the pre-credits scene with uh bronson sitting at his typewriter and people are coming over yes, and yes. talking to him and and this is the first place where you get the the um sort of i don't know what the word is the instinct that maybe bronson's not going to be on his a game because he's talking like there's nobody in the room with him and he's saying these lines, you know, to the camera, like <laughs> I'm a mean, selfish, selfish son of a Jim, bitch. You're not going to put me on the TV. It's like, I don't care about that. I care about catching this killer, which I'm going to do first. And it's like, John, 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 10 to midnight. It's like, what? <laughs> but anyway, the very I next wrote scene, that, I wrote that down. Yeah. I mean, it's not, not the way to start. the movie. I mean, it, well, in the 80s, in 1983, if if you were like your dad, okay, and you're like, I'm, yeah. whoa, the new uh, Clint Eastwood, uh, Chuck Norris, uh, Charles Bronson, Sylvester Stallone, whatever movie's coming out, can't wait to go see it. You know, he's gonna he's gonna kick ass and you know take all the the politics out of that we think about nowadays and and whatever. You're just like, I want to go see a dirty Harry type cop fuck shit up. I mean, do you really think? Even in '83, somebody was watching this, going like, "Yeah, he's good." Like, "Oh yeah, that's that's this movie is." I just I can't. can't. Right. Right. <laughs> like, like, like I enjoyed, I enjoyed it, it, but you can't, can't take, it take it to any, any level, level of seriousness. Of seriousness. Oh no, it's fun as shit, but it's fun because it's yeah. 40 years later and this movie's insane. It's not like we <laughs> bought a ticket and this is the thing showing at our local multiplex right now. <laughs> did did. did did, did like, like an 18 year old in 1983 go see it and have well, a lot of fun seeing I, it? As much as I say this stuff, I do think that like the expectation of these movies was far different back then. I mean, watching something even like Friday the 13th now or some of these more renowned, I, I don't know if you consider Friday the 13th renowned, but it's just one of those things where it's, it's like, we watch it now. It seems a little dated because of fashion, costumes, budget, whatever. Maybe you had like a, a younger cast. So that kind of gets a pass. But when you get to the the Bronson level of things and a and a movie that is aimed at adults and uh, people have been watching this actor for twenty years or whatever it is, it's it's nuts to me that this is a you know major. I don't know if it's a major Hollywood movie. Canon is a is a kind of thing but at the time it was released as a you know a major yes. release, yeah. a, a major bronson movie and uh, there was posters there was <laughs> this whole podcast sure. is us trying to put ourselves in the shoes of 40 years ago and it's uh it's it's hard to do i, I sometimes don't know. i enjoy yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes i enjoy, I enjoy doing, doing that, that. No, I, I I do too, but I just I wonder. It, it just can't be that people went to see this movie and they were just like, oh yeah, that that's just like fucking uh, whatever the most recent Spielberg movie was, or like no, it's it's not. This is, <laughs> this is like low budget, you know, kind of hacky shit. Even at the time, I have to imagine, but but then again, yeah, that's why you have a movie that's live. making seven million dollars. You're playing to this niche audience, and you know somehow that even doubled its money and. Canon lives to see another day until they finally crash and burn. I guess I don't know, but but all right. Anyway, so back to the movie. The other thing I was going to say after that's that weird opening scene with Bronson, which which isn't terrible, but you are just kind of like eh, it's a little weird. 
oh, he's acting. Then you move on to uh, the credits. And then after the credits, the next thing is this girl getting into a van. And it's the girl he eventually stalks and murders in the woods. All her lines are ADR. Like they're dubbed over. Like you never see her mouth move. You can tell it's like not in sync with the sound that's, you know, going on with it. And I get it. It's a low budget movie. It's a $4 million movie. I'm guessing a million of it went to Bronson. Because I, again, I heard that that was kind of his thing. Like Cannon would just give him a million dollars or more for every movie. He was fine with taking it, and he would just do any old piece of shit and just, you know, just mail, it, mail it on him. Yeah, and just he's like, I'm just building my nest egg, whatever. Um, and, and maybe it's not his fault. Maybe like the roles weren't coming to him the way they used to. Maybe he realized he wasn't going to get cast in some, you know, hot shot director's uh, Oscar bid movie anymore. And he's like, I got to work. You know, whatever. Fine, good for him. Although I don't know how you can yeah, like yeah. turn in a good performance a decade or two earlier, and and then all of a sudden just decide you're not going to even bother. But like I think if you're an actor, you're an actor, right? Like you're going to be a good actor in a bad movie. You're going to be a good actor in a good movie. Like that's just that's like what you do, right? But yeah, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, so fast forward to this girl getting into the van, and like I said, all the lines are just completely dubbed over. You can tell that now. I don't know if I'd have picked up on that when I was a kid forty years ago. I don't know if people picked up on that in movies forty years ago, but now we know what. ADR is and we know what uh, you know what to look for in a sort of shitty low budget movie and uh, that that is that's definitely it so in in the first not even five minutes you have a couple pretty good ideas of of the kind of movie that you're getting into and I was kind of going oh no we might be in for a real piece of crap here but then as soon as they show the <laughs> the killer for the first time and you know I'm like okay now I know what kind of movie and yeah it's a piece of crap but it's going to be totally fun and and batshit yeah and and that's what it was was. yeah and a lot of that has to do with the casting well i mean the cast is great i mean they're terrible but they're great like i you know they're 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 all perfectly uh in in on the level that this movie is is at we'll we'll say that right right um all right so so where are we so uh the girl gets killed in the woods and then he we get We get Andrew Andrew Stevens Stevens at that that point, point, right? right? And that is a... uh, Yeah. yeah. He was in a movie movie that I saw in like the the early early 90s 90s with Shannon Tweed. Night Eyes. Night Eyes. Night Eyes. I didn't even even look him up before this podcast, but that's where I know that name from is uh, Andrew Stevens and Shannon Tweed. Night Eyes. Yeah. It's like it you're 13 years Eyes old in 1993. You're jerking off to this 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. yep. <laughs> I believe it was on USA Up, up All Night. night. Oh, I, I probably like grabbed it off the wall at Blockbuster or something, but yeah. There were there were yeah. several of those if I recall, but you know, you know those, those those boxes at the video, video store are great, great with some, some chick in lingerie and a guy with a gun. Yeah. Or she's like sliding down the knife of a stripper pole or whatever. Yeah, that, yeah. that was probably like strip to kill. I don't, I don't know who's in all these strip to kill. Animal yeah. instincts with Shannon Worry. Oh man, a oh, Shannon man. Tweed, uh, you know, countdown might be something we should do someday. She's she's got a ton of them. She does. <laughs> she had a ton in the eight, late eighties, early nineties, for sure. Among many others, like there were probably a good. I would say at least 10, maybe a dozen, um, you know, go-to yeah. uh, actresses for that sort of, of movie between, I don't know, what, 80, 87 and 90, 87 and 96, 95. 96, I even went beyond yeah. that. I remember still, like, hanging out at Blockbuster in the 
almost getting into the late nineties and going, all right, here's the new, uh, you know, whoever it was, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even Pamela Anderson had a handful in there. Remember Snapdragon? I don't. Uh, well, I only remember barbed wire. Well, I mean, that was in the theaters. I'm saying in terms of, like, yeah. you know, maybe. That no, I don't Snapdragon remember any like other movie she did. Snapdragon might have been like 94 or 95, but. Uh, and oh, even, pre. Who? What, pre-barbed pre wire she was Yeah, it was pre-barbed wire. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, she was probably on Baywatch at the time, post-Playboy. They probably tried to like stick her in a couple movies. Who's the other one? Uh, Anna Nicole Smith. She had a bunch of those in the in the mid-90s, 95, 96, somewhere in there. Uh she like a yeah, there's money, money to be, to be made, made there. there. Yeah. And they're they're all titles you don't even remember because it's stuff like uh uh, uh I don't remember like uh no limits or you know, shit like that. <laughs> No Zero. Nothing, Nothing sticks, sticks out about out. it at all. Yeah, except the boobs. Yeah. I mean, uh, Anna Cole Smith was right. in a movie called Skyscraper, which was like this sort of, you know, half-ass diehard shit where she's the the sensible hero in a in a skyscraper, but they still find time to like ever just in a shower or a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. So that I guess, I guess that, that brings, brings us back, back to Andrew Stevens. Stevens. Oh yeah. <laughs> who there's they try and tell this whole story of you know you don't look like a cop and they they kind of milk that idea for maybe half the movie and then he he proves himself to be a real cop but that was a weird little storyline they were trying to tell at the beginning yeah yeah i mean andrew stevens in this movie is just like vanilla on vanilla he's not <laughs> i mean he's he uh, forget about him as an actor i mean he's in the same realm as everybody else in this movie where he's just kind of reading his lines and uh you know he, he might actually be the best actor in the movie i, like, I don't know if i want to say that um because he's not great there's plenty of times where i'm just like oh man you you read that line that way and they just left it in here but uh you know he, he's got less cringy lines than a lot of the other people in it and and he's obviously working with the material he's got, so he he comes off a little bit unscathed compared to some of the other people. But um, the fuck were you talking about? What, what was your uh, question? Just Andrew Steve. No, no, but there was something we specific about- I was getting at. Like he, we we said something, and I said, uh, "Well, he's he's actually okay," but and then I was gonna. He said he was vanilla on vanilla. Okay, so he's not a terrible actor, but like the the way he's playing this is just there's there's no excitement to him nothing like i guess he's a good enough looking guy and i guess i can see why uh the charles bronson's daughter you know would potentially be into him or whatever but this movie is just uh scripts um uh, fuck deprived like like contrivance (laughs) after script contrivance you know it's just it's it's one thing after another where it's just like whatever drives the the plot to the next thing and, and nobody feels like they have any sort of chemistry or belong together or whatever bronson and his daughter remember that scene where he goes to the hospital and they're like going to lunch and he's like, oh i have that i have the I have quote, quote written down here right, from do that it. scene do it. i won't because i'm right. half acid if you got the actual thing go ahead Lori, that's, that's some lunch dad, dad. coleslaw and quiche leo, leo. I, hate I hate quiche, quiche. Thought it was pie. Then the cashier. Then, then, wh- then, wh- 
Well, the, yeah, the, the cashier, why did you get it? I thought it was pie. It was just all delivered. So. Oh, and then my God. she's like, and he's like, and I hate coleslaw. It's like, well, why'd you grab the coleslaw? Then you don't explain that one. And then he ends up eating like chicken and mashed potatoes. And then she grabs this big ass sandwich. And he's like, that's all you're going to eat. And she's like, I don't eat much these days. I'm like, bitch. That sandwich is bigger than my actual lunch most days. Right. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. And she takes like three bites out of it and leaves the rest of it on the plate. Oh, my God. I don't I even eat that much, that much in an in entire, entire day, day sometimes. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we make up for a beer. I don't know. But. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yes, that, 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 that scene was, that scene was, was fantastic. fantastic. I had to write, write that, that quote down. down. Yeah. So many scenes are fantastic. Like I like, like like I said. So he gets that new partner in Andrew Stevens, and they're driving in the car, and the, you know, just their entire line of dialogue, and, and just the way it's delivered. It, it doesn't it doesn't do it justice. I mean, I could sit here and I could repeat it, um, and I could yeah. try to make it sound funny, but like it, it's so much better just to watch it. And, and that's the deal with a lot of these movies, right? There is just if you if you just watch it as these people trying to make a serious movie, and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's. <laughs> it's some insane stuff. Now, normally I wouldn't be like, yeah, go ahead and just fucking watch it for the goofball shit. But this movie also happens to be completely fucking insane and crazy on a, on a action and sexual level and all this other stuff. So not only can you appreciate it for the goofy uh, performances and line readings and dialogue and script and everything else, but it also is completely a fast paced, uh, you know, slasher slash cop buddy fucking uh i don't know this movie combines so many things like why does his daughter she's a nurse live in like a sorority house of nurses like what do they do they're like sleeping on on like patient beds at a hospital like they just have like a room there or like a i it's a dorm it's a a dorm dorm that they they, the only way i realized that was at at the end when when they're going going to to rescue rescue her her. um yeah i get what it is but is that a hospital Yeah, yeah, maybe they're med, med students? students. I don't know. Are there? Or do they? Do the nurses just live there? I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe maybe I missed it. Maybe they explained it, and maybe I'm an idiot. But it just seems weird that they all like lived. I assume they were roommates, but they're all living in like just like yeah, an yeah. expanded hospital room, sleeping in like hospital beds. And there doesn't even appear to be enough beds for all of them, unless there's other rooms that we haven't really seen. And I noticed that, that too. too. <laughs> maybe they needed, they needed more than one bathroom, bathroom too. too. It's super fucking weird, man, but it's all all so good. Like, like this whole movie is just like this is yep, fucking yep. dumb, crazy, insane, <laughs> awful, but uh I mean, I'm not going to stop watching this right now. <laughs> yeah, know? it completely, it completely flew, flew by, by for me. It was, it was so, so entertaining. entertaining. Yeah. The um, before, before before I forget, forget the, the there was there two, two roommates, roommates of note of Lisa Eilbacher's in this movie. movie. I don't know I don't if you know caught Either, Either of them. Of them. Uh, I did, but go ahead. <clears throat> oh, okay. Well, you had you had, you had, you had Ola Ray from the uh, thriller video. Thriller video. Yep. Yeah. And you get to you see get some teas there. there. Yeah. And then, and then uh, uh, Kelly, Kelly Preston, Preston whose book, book are labeled as Kelly Palzik or something, something in the yeah, credits. credits. Yeah. Good for you. I was gonna pull that out as like a thing that I, you know. <laughs> oh, thank you. I I, I saw I her. I saw Ola, and I'm like, I've seen that girl before somewhere. 
because I've seen that video so many fucking times, like, because the first thing yeah, yeah. that pops up after it's over, it might, maybe the first thing is like, you know, directed by John Landis and then like, you know, written by Michael Jackson. But the, the thing, the first thing is like co-starring Ola Ray. And that's been like, that name's just been burned into my head because I've seen that video so much since I was a kid. And I've seen yeah. her in other stuff and I'm like, oh shit, Ola Ray's in this from the Thriller video. And, uh, you know, she's in other things. I don't have it right in front of me, but she, you know, I, I wouldn't say she had like a huge or great career, but, um, you know, every once in a while I'm watching something and I'll, I'll see her pop up or I'll see the name pop up in the credits and I'll go, whoa, there she is. There she yeah. is. So. You know, this is before what, after what the Thriller video. This would have been... Like right around the same time, right? Thriller, Thriller 82. The, the album came out in 82, but that was not the first single or the first video. Like that video, I think, was like a year yeah. later or something. So I'm sure she was at least filming this at the same time. Or Yeah, my yeah, guess my is guess she, she did this did before, before Thriller. Or at least. Well, before she got before the Before Thriller. Thriller. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm surprised Michael Jackson wasn't like, oh, you showed your titties in that movie. We can't have you in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I, I want, want you at my video. video. Or he's probably like, hey, you showed your titties in that movie. <laughs> uh, one, one thing I one thing I really liked about this movie was, was that it was it was a little different in terms of how it all plays out. The, the cops know right away or pretty soon who their suspect is. Yeah. And it's a matter of getting him, whereas the whole movie's like who done it and figuring it, figuring it out that way. Yeah, I agree. Except for the fact that making Charles Bronson, this sort of uh, vigilante cop out of nowhere seems a little bit disingenuous. Like it didn't really seem like this was the, all that personal forum, you know? And, well, there is the scene where the, the killer calls up his daughter and uh, pretends to be a Spanish guy. And <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I actually recorded that because it was so fucking ridiculous. I will play it. Um, why don't you say something? Please to get, do. Get us through the uh, the trickle here, and I'll I'll find it. Okay, okay so, so uh, they they, they tap, tap the, the phone, phone of of, the, of, of Leo's, Leo's daughter, daughter, and uh, this is this one is of the one phone, phone calls call. that this they receive. Yeah, this is the main phone call. Yep, here it comes. All right, you ready? <laughs> Hope it comes through. Maybe that's like, the call that led to them recording. Like that, so I don't know how I'd react. But. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, it's clearly not a real accident. Well, actually, I will say in the movie's offense, like when I was first watching, I was like, really? This is how we're going to like pretend this guy is Spanish. But then 
that's how they, they do do like a voice match later on. There's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, the cops instantly yeah. figured out. Yep. Yeah. So that was a little refreshing in terms of that. Um, got another moment here. I was going to write that part down. Oh, my God. I would piss on the best part of you. She's like, your your daddy's a pig and your mother's a horse. She's like, who told you that? It's a secret. What the fuck? Then when Bronson hears that he just slams the... Yeah, he doesn't even let him finish. He's like, God damn it. I got to kill everybody. Which brings us to the end of this movie. Well... We're getting ahead of ourselves, but the end of this movie is yeah, yeah. fucked. I mean, I don't. It's uh, it, well, Bronson gets okay. We should go back to some other stuff in the movie, but let me just say yeah, this because yeah. so at at the very end, Bronson has this guy. There's cops everywhere. He's like, he's like, listen, I'm gonna plead insanity. My lawyer already like got that on the books from the previous times you've uh, framed me. Like, yeah, Bronson is going to jail after this movie's over. Like, he he framed this guy, like, tw- I don't know, two times at least, maybe more. And then, at the very end, he shoots him in the fucking head after, like, having a conversation with him. And the guy's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get off. I'm going to plead insanity, blah, blah, blah. You can't do this. And, and he's like, I'll, I forget what his last line is. He's like, I'll be out in a week or, you know, whatever the proverbial bullshit of that is. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, you won't. And then Bronson just, like, shoots him in the head. And then the movie just fucking ends. But it's like present you're he's in jail like that's not a happy ending because if you think about i I know audience is supposed to be like yeah fucking no mercy dirty (laughs) hairy shit but no like he's (laughs) he's committed many a crime trying to get this guy ending with him shooting him in the face in front of a bunch of cops when this guy's unarmed not like i mean I'm not, I'm not saying this guy should deserve to live or, you know, it's not like a bleeding heart thing about it. It's just like, what the fuck, man? That's not how you end a movie. Like, I mean, yeah. What? I, I, I agree. <laughs> the, and God damn it. The, the ending reminded me of the old police squad with Leslie Nielsen, where it would, um, well, a lot of this movie could have been police squad with, if you just, yeah. uh, you know, threw on a little, uh, you know, double entendre to end every scene or something, you know, it's not, it's not far removed at all. (laughs) 
you have the helicopter, like, or not the helicopter, but the camera panning away, but, like, everyone's still standing there doing nothing, and Bronson's got his hands out, and this goes on while the credits are rolling. Yeah. And, like, I mean, everyone's still standing there. He sacrifices freedom to get rid of this he did. one jerk. I mean, he's got a daughter. His, like, partner likes him. Like, I just, why mm-hmm. the fuck? I mean, it's... This idea of the 70s and 80s, well, even 90s, it's it's insane to me to think that you would take something like Dirty Harry from a decade before this, where that, that guy was a, a true psychopath and, you know, Clint Eastwood kills him in, in at least self-defense. The guy had a gun, like whatever. To now we're just like, okay, Bronson is going to like blow him away in front of a bunch of cops and like sacrifice the entire rest of his life just to get this one guy that they could have had anyway. The cops were all like right there. This guy had like nothing to stand. He's standing there fucking naked, blood all over. Like just what? Why yeah. did he kill him? Like that doesn't make any sense. You've got him for triple murder now. Just yeah. <laughs> well, let it be although, and be with your daughter. Yeah, he was saying though, I'm gonna get off for being insane, and he's like, I you know I got you for framing me and all this stuff. So Bronson yeah. was probably already in a jackpot anyway. But I don't feel like adding cold blooded murder onto it is really the way to go out and I, I don't know if audiences were like yeah the movie doesn't even give you time for that like he shoots him in the head and then credits roll it's like it's it's a very awkward ending and it's also just like if that was supposed to be the moment where audiences like sit up and cheer you think there had been like a little postscript where he's like listen baby i'm sorry i just can't let this guy roam the streets i just i couldn't do it like you know you you go have a yeah, good yeah. Oh, life oh. I, I sacrifice myself for you and the city and the, and the people and you know put that shit on there don't just like be like crazy ass cop shoots this guy in the middle of the street when he didn't have to. And then everybody's just like, Oh, what a hero. Like that, the movie doesn't give you that. It's just, oh. no, no. It's, <laughs> it, was, it was, it was, it was a, a very, very weird, weird ending. ending and that's, and that was the point I was going to make before about scenes ending, ending abruptly. The, the movie <laughs> ended fucking, fucking abruptly. abruptly. Yeah. It's it's very restrained by its its budget is what I would say. I think there's probably stuff on the cutting room floor. I think there's probably like alternate endings. I think it's one of those movies that if you were to do a deep dive into it, if you can, I, I don't know. I didn't yeah. Really yeah. try and I guess if I was a better podcaster, I probably would have. But there's there's probably a, a history to this movie. But honestly, on its own terms, it's like a crazy ass piece of fucking shit. Like this movie is is great and I don't really want to know any more about it. I'm, I'm just happy it exists as is and some uh poor schmuck is going to stumble upon it on tubi or wherever it is someday and be like whoa what the fuck did i just watch and yeah, yeah. you're gonna be like shit was different 40 years ago too bad there's not a podcast that it, talks it, about all that exactly <laughs> uh all right other thoughts on this movie i mean i feel like we're not even like we're, we're talking about how nuts it is but we're kind of a short shift in terms of uh, quotes and actual scenes. I wish I had more stuff like loaded up. I could actually play, but yeah, man, some of the line readings in this movie are just crazy. Whether it's from Bronson, uh, an established actor, or even some of these younger people, it's just every line feels yeah. so uh, I, like they're not even in the same room together. It's like, here, say this, pretend you're talking to somebody uh, and, and say it seriously or, or with some sort of authority and then it will sound great. And it's just, it's this weird dynamic of people talking to each other that don't actually talk to each other that way. It's just, right. it's, it's a very 
very odd, oddly uh, uh, shot and scripted movie. Um, there is, I don't know, we should probably say a lot of nudity and sex and whatever, if that's what you're into it for. Um, you know, it, it's not necessarily very titillating because it's usually involves somebody getting killed, but uh, you know, it's, it's got a lot of that craziness. Um, as far as the the killer and the the violence and his motives and stuff, there's some pretty goofy and uh, well, they'd be gross or 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 I don't want to say scary, but you know, reprehensible, I guess, kills. But because the movie is so amateurish and whatever, they're all pretty pretty funny. And so, like the first scene we talked about, where he's chasing her down in the woods, that should be pretty gnarly and uh, and gross and you know, give you pause and like, oh man, how's this guy just going to knife this naked girl running for her life in the woods. But it's handled so pedestrianly that it just, it doesn't, it doesn't hit that way. It's, it's more of a right, right. laughing matter, you know, if, if you will, even though it's murder should not be a laughing matter, but it's. Uh... No, I know what you I, mean. Do you, what about some of the other ones? There was, there were definitely some other kills in there that were pretty, ridiculous i just don't remember off the top of my head but um well there, there was another scene well towards the end again where he actually he actually very slyly catches bronson off guard while bronson's following him after he's been fired i should we should talk about that part i should uh you know he get he gets he basically gets fired for tampering evidence evidence. he uh, steals steals blood blood from from a right evidence area while the guy on watch is just smoking weed and listening to his music oh yeah yeah he walks into the the uh, lab or whatever in the in the middle of the night the guy is sitting there smoking weed bronson's like oh i guess you didn't expect anybody to come by and he's like oh shit don't tell me he's like i won't as long as you go get this tape i need then he has to go into the evidence locker and bronson uses that time to uh steal a blood sample that he is then going to put on the guy's clothes and that will be the way they pin him as the killer except bronson doesn't know this guy only kills nude and so that's where the guy's like yeah that's bullshit he set me up or whatever and then his partner andrew stevens connects some dots and goes and talks to this guy that was smoking the pot in the evidence room. And he's like, he's like, Oh, he wasn't out of my sight except for that one time where I went to give him the tape. And then he's like, what's in that freezer over there? He's like, Oh, blood samples. And he's like, ah, Bronson, you son of a bitch. (laughs) What was funny about that that scene scene, when he steals steals the blood blood is like, you think he needs to get out of that room. room? Yeah. Like Like, as soon as as possible. possible. But, but he's still not out of the room when the guy comes back with the tape. Well, at least the, the freezer was closed and all that stuff. True. I don't know. That guy obviously didn't put two and two together, but. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. The whole I thought the whole point was him needing to get out of that room, but he. Yeah. He didn't. Well, I thought the scenes of them um, bringing in, uh, you know, Stacy for the the questioning and the murders were all pretty funny. Like this guy, like he's just not a great actor. And I don't know if he's just playing into the role he was given and if he's been better in other things or what, but his, his outrage and his anger and his just, just everything is so either over the top or muted or 
whatever it is. And he just doesn't talk like a normal. And, and maybe that's what he was trying to do. Maybe like the idea was at, at the beginning, like we were saying, he's, he's a good looking guy on paper and all this other stuff, but then everybody's kind of creeped out by him at his office and all this stuff. And it's just cause he has this weird attitude and, and maybe that's that he's antisocial and the way he talks to people. And so in these interrogation scenes, he's, <laughs> he's completely fucking ridiculous and doesn't. He's unhinged. Yeah, he's like this brilliant yeah. killer who knows enough to like kill people naked and all this other stuff. But then, uh, you know, when it comes to actually, and he screams like a baby when they find out that there's, there's blood on his suit. Yeah, and like starts bashing a chair <laughs> into the door and everything. It's like, yeah, you look yeah. really, uh, really innocent and sane. But um, uh, so going, going back, back to, to yeah, why so there was a cool, cool scene was the. Uh, yeah. He, Bronson, Bronson at this, at this point, point is, is fired, fired, but he's, but he's, still, he's still following, following Warren, Warren around. And, and Warren, Warren picks up a prostitute, takes her to a hotel. hotel. Bronson, Bronson pays his way for some information. information. By the time he gets to that room where Warren is with the prostitute, she's already dead. And he's on his way to the dorm where his daughter is. It's... I thought that was, that was pretty, pretty slick. slick. That was slick, but what was he? What was his like end game there? Was he framing Bronson for that? Or I, th- I thought it was just a delay, delay tactic, tactic to get, get yeah to get I, Bronson, I, I, Bronson to focus on this. this. Yeah, I get that. He's like out the window and and all that stuff. So, but I, I just wonder, you know, he killed her with he poisoned her, right? He put it in the drink and yeah, yeah. So. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm just saying, like, that he just he did that just to get Bronson to focus on this dead prostitute while he could go do the other thing. I guess. And why didn't he gut her, too? I mean, I guess why not just go do the thing you're going to do from the beginning? I'm not really sure why, <laughs> right. why you had to, like, mix it up in the middle with killing another person. But I guess if you're a killer, that's that's what you do, but. Uh, yeah, and we've we've kind of glossed over the fact that Bronson finds these totally fucking archaic, like uh, early nineteen eighties sex machines that's got like a like a vibrating pussy, but it's stuck on like this thing that you have to like start up like a like a lawnmower or whatever. It looks like a leaf, like a yeah, like a weed whacker. <laughs> yeah, on the end of that. <laughs> and there's other scenes that where he's was holding, uh... like giant dildos in his hand. I, I wonder what the pitch was. Like, listen, Bronson, I know you're a old school guy, and by the way. Bronson in this movie, much like the Death Wish movies, is he's this like just sort of older. Uh, what I mean, if he was alive today or they were doing this today, he'd be a complete like right wing Fox News, you know, conservative, like concealed carry type, uh, you know, the stand your ground kind of guy. And I'm not saying that's that's good or bad or wrong or right. I'm just saying like that would be the way it is, and that's how they are portraying him in these movies. And he's he's saying stuff like, "Ah, oh, the system isn't gonna." fucking do it. I got to do it. And, you know, it's got this like sort of vigilante kind of death wish thing, even though he's a cop in this one. And, and, and it, all his eighties movies are like that. And I think it's really fucking funny that on top of that, this movie is like, yeah, but here walk around with this dildo in your hand for 20 seconds in this scene. <laughs> Just. <laughs> Him taking it out of that suitcase and looking at it was yeah. pretty funny. Just because the image of that will, uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it was supposed to be provocative and whatever at the time, but, uh, you know, pretty insane for, 
Just, and what just they say, like, what are, like, I can't imagine Clint Eastwood <laughs> walking around with a fucking dildo on like a weed whacker. Like, yeah, what do you think of this, you motherfucker? And, like throwing it at the guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a uh, yeah, the, the scene when they when they, they they're, they're looking, looking through, through his, his apartment and they find the device and, and he's like, you know what that's you know what that's, you know what that's for, Warren? It's for jacking, jacking off. Yeah, not really though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's for putting your right. Dick I don't know. You know, it's not yeah. really yeah. the definition of jacking off. Oh man. Well, uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah. This movie is an experience. What can you say about this movie? movie. Yeah, (laughs) I can't. I mean, it's fun. Um, You know, (laughs) the reception was as expected at the time. You know, like you you talked about uh, Roger Ebert. Uh, I saw he gave it zero stars. Um, And there's kind of like, you know, he Bronson was good once. But what the fuck is he doing in this shit? (laughs) It's kind of like he gave it zero zero stars. stars. Yeah. I mean, that's that's. That's Bronson's eighties, man. I don't know. It sounds like yeah. uh Cisco liked it better, but I don't have a review handy. It just it says in the notes the film did receive positive feedback from others, such as Ebert's colleague, uh Gene Siskel, the Chicago Tribune. Uh, and it was a moderate financial success. So it doesn't say what uh Siskel said of it, but um that is interesting. I would like to see the two of them fight it out on a maybe I can try to find that on YouTube or something. That'd be a fun I was gonna time. say they they have a they ton have of episodes. episodes. Yeah, not all YouTube. of them, though. I, I used to watch them. I know, but not all of them. them. Yeah, now I go to try to find them. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember watching the you know the Tango and Cash one or whatever. What did they say about that? I can't, yeah. Yeah. I can't find it, and, and I just see the same, like, you know, 20 of them over and over again. You think in the day of uh, the internet and everything else, or even just streaming and whatnot, somebody would sell all those, you know, to... Uh, uh, whatever Hulu or yeah, I don't know who owns the rights. It's I think it was Buena Vista, so Disney, so Disney Plus, fucking put all the uh, put it every, every episode. episode. You yeah, know you have the tapes or the yeah, access to them. them. Yeah, give us an app or whatever. I'll I'll download all those and sit around and watch them. That was great. I used yeah. to stay up late on I, Sunday I, I nights. It was do you, I don't know if you remember. It was syndicated in our town on on Sunday nights at like midnight. But the fucking rub was. Anytime a, a sport ran long, so like Sunday night football or something, then the news, then there yeah, was like yeah. talking Packers or whatever. And then there was whatever show was on after that. And then a lot of times <laughs> that just would not even come on. And I remember like vividly setting the VCR and I would go from midnight and this is a fucking Sunday. So I either had to go to school or work in the morning. So I'd set it from like midnight to like 4 a.m. And I'm like, I hope I catch a summer in here. And once in a while, it would be on at like 2.30. And then other times it just wasn't on at all. And then sometimes it was on in like its normal time slot. And I'm like, this is the, the best we can do in a major metropolitan city for Cisco and Ebert. We got to just have them on at like midnight on a Sunday. And then even then half the time it's not on. Yeah. It was such shit, man. Ugh. The days of, you know, at least sometimes, sometimes now they, they do, do the, the, the crawl at the, at the bottom, bottom, like, like Cisco and Ebert, Ebert is normally seen at this time. time. But, but. <laughs> right. Well, even that was like 20 years ago or whatever, but yeah. And then in the days yeah. of DVR was a little easier. Cause you just say like, record Cisco Lieber or whatever's on. But even that wasn't foolproof because if the, the time frame that was supposed to be Cisco Lieber was not if you updated, have a sporting event like, go yeah, like a replay of a fucking whatever, like then that was yeah, what yeah. recorded. So it, ah. don't get me started. Anyway, it'd be really great if they would just put those all out somewhere and we could go back and watch them all, especially the early ones from like the seventies and eighties that I was too young to even know that yeah, they yeah. existed at the time. But um, anyway, yeah, I'd love to see the two of them argue about this movie, but uh 40 years later, we're not arguing about it. We've decided that it's 
<laughs> piece of shit or no, it's it's a pretty yeah, yeah. stand up flick. So it's a great movie to watch with your friends and have a couple drinks and just kind of enjoy. Like one of those you laugh at how so good it's bad, kind of funny. One hundred percent. All right, are we done with that, or should anything else yep. we got to yep. say about it? I I, I I don't know if I mentioned that the director also did a lot of Bronson stuff for Canon. Like the two of them were a little bit joined at the hip at the time. Uh, Jaylee Thompson, that's just his his. He ended up doing, doing like, like eight, eight movies in the eighties with Bronson. Bronson. Yeah. And didn't we say he was uh, responsible for some better stuff? I think like the It TV miniseries, and then maybe like. Did you creep show or something? We were talking about Jaylee Tom. Well, well, yeah, he he, he did the original, original Cape, Cape Fear. Fear. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, he had some early success, and then he had he had a little bit, you know, some better stuff in the middle, and then, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know, but he he definitely had a weird career of like a notable director, then into kind of a schlock director, and then some other notable stuff again. But yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have his filmography in front of me, but in, in 1990, 1990, one of the one first times I ever rented, rented a movie by myself, by myself on pay-per-view was a, a movie, movie called, called Kinjate Forbidden Kinjate Subjects. Forbidden. Yeah, Bronson which I, I yeah yeah, yeah I yeah, looked into today. That's, that's Jay Lee Thompson's, Thompson's last movie and one of Bronson's. Well, no, not one of his last movies, but he. His last, his last one, one with, with Jay Lee Thompson. Thompson. Yeah, he did um, "Happy Birthday to Me" in 1980, which I remember that one as kind of like a slasher thing. Um, but yeah, really, he was kind of a Bronson exclusive throughout the 80s. Uh, Ten to Midnight, Evil That Men Do, The Ambassador was with Robert Mitchum, King Solomon's Mines, then Murphy's Law with Bronson, uh, Firewalker with. Uh, Norris. Norris. Yep. Lewis Gus Jr. Yep, yep. Death Wish for the Crackdown, Messenger of Death, uh, Kinjate, Kin, Kinjite. I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, and then, yeah, I guess that was kind of it. But why do I think he that, did that uh, it movie? Who was that? That was somebody else we were talking about on some other movie. We were like, oh, he actually uh, was it the, the guy who did uh tommy lee wallace, wallace who oh, did yeah, uh halloween, halloween three. three yeah halloween three right and uh cujo did he do that one as well so, he did yeah, yep. yep all right i get those guys mixed up three names that must be the the thing so yeah <laughs> three names same era similar career trajectory and whatnot but all right well moving on uh so we didn't have another Great movie this week. Uh, normally we try to do two. Um, nothing in in uh, the early March of '83 that stacks up. So Peter, you mentioned you had never seen the Bruce Willis, uh, what I will call a classic. I don't know how you feel about it. Last Man Standing uh, from 1996. I feel like it's a severely underrated movie directed by Walter Hill. Um, this movie looks great. It sounds great. Willis is great. Uh, I don't I don't know where you're at on this one. I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but. I feel like this movie was always underrated. I feel like it's finally starting to get some appreciation. Most people are probably like, oh, yeah, you guys aren't really breaking any uh, news by finally saying people should watch Last Man Standing. But I remember seeing it when it opened uh, in September in 1996. I guess we were probably seniors at that point, right? Seniors, yeah. 96 yep. and 97. 
and uh, I saw it at the Prospect Mall. I think I saw it with Nick or else by myself, but either way, um, liked it from the jump. I knew it was not going to be a big hit. This is kind of in Willis's, uh, I don't know if I said it yet, Bruce Willis stars in it, but he, uh, in that period where, you know, it's post Die Hard, uh, pre Sixth Sense and Armageddon, and he was just kind of taking some of these studio movies. Um, this one kind of fell into that category of this Mer- Mercury Rising, The Jackal, some of these other movies that are kind of forgotten. But when I watch this one back, I'm just like, what the fuck? Why was this movie not a huge hit? And why did people not love it from a, uh, the director, the score, the cinematography, the fucking acting, the cast, everything? This movie just fucking slaps for me. So I'm curious to hear what you, what you think about it. I've loved it for, uh, you know, 25 years now. I, I don't know where your head's at, but. Yeah, I surprisingly did enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh, it you you took some of my thunder. Uh, it it looked amazing. Cinematography was really cool. There's some really good scenes where like there's a conversation and the camera's going around and around. And I I didn't note who did the cinematography, but. Yeah, he, I got it. Who, who, oh, okay. okay. Who, whoever did that. Yeah, notes. go ahead. No, no, it's okay. Go ahead. Okay. okay. Um, Story-wise, story it's a it's blast. blast. Uh, uh, Willis, Willis is, is fantastic, fantastic in it. It's, it's the I, I always I love, love the subdued Willis. Willis. Uh, he's kind he's of channeling. Kind of there's some there's some parallels I have with this and Unforgiven. You know, it it's obviously looks like an old west town. Only there's cars now instead of horses. Now there's like dead horses in the fucking road. Yeah, I noted that. Well, well, I'll tell you. I wrote down what I was gonna initially gonna say, and I didn't because I just spitballed. But um, so directed by Walter Hill, screenplay by Walter Hill, but it's based on uh, Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo, which is the 1961. Uh, Japanese samurai classic that was remade once before as a a spaghetti Western from uh, Sergio Leone in 1964 as a fistful of dollars starring Clint Eastwood, which was the beginning of Eastwood and Leone's man with no name trilogy. And that's the one that culminates with uh, the good, the bad and the ugly, um, at least for the Eastwood, uh, you know, thing. So actually, frankly, I think uh, Leone incorporates once upon a time in the West as a chapter of that same saga, but Eastwood's not in it. And ironically, Charles Bronson is, is in it. So, Oh, there you go. Once again. Yeah. Back when he was uh, not doing Canon films. Um, Anyway. So uh, it's worth noting here that Willis's character is named John Smith. um, So he's not, you know, a man with no name, but still the proverbial man with no name. I mean, John Smith and they make a big deal about that. Like, Oh, John Smith, you might as well be the fucking man with no name or uh, they don't say it quite like that, but that's basically what they fucking say. So, uh, the legit, the Yojimbo plot, um, of a stranger playing rival gangs against each other is kept intact. So in, in Yojimbo, and have you ever seen that Yojimbo? I, I, I had, had, no, I, a long time ago, but I, I did see that it was, it was a remake, remake of, it. of it. Yeah. I was just like, okay, this two of, two great movies I like were based off this. I should watch it sometime. And, and I remember watching it, but I, I don't remember a whole lot about it, but the plot is the you same. You remember liking it or not? or not? Yeah, I liked it. I, I just, you know, it's, okay. it's a different thing. It's Japanese and it's from the sixties. So it's, it's a whole different vibe than, you know, these movies we're talking about, but uh, yeah. 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 If you're somebody who can appreciate old movies, it's definitely worth watching, but um, it's, it's the same thing. This, this samurai warrior uh, has these two conflicting, um, samurai gangs and then he kind of plays both sides 
And, uh, you know, that's what happens here. It's, it's set in prohibition era, Texas with, you know, dusty streets and old West buildings and about the only thing, uh, you know, that sets it apart from a true Western is you got cars instead of horses and suits instead of ponchos and 45s instead of six shooters and, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, just in terms of backstory, if you want to compare it to those. But I don't know. I think this movie stands on its own either. If you've never heard of Yojimbo, if you've never seen A Fistful of Dollars. Yeah. Um, and I haven't, I haven't seen, seen either. either. Well, well, I saw A Fistful of Dollars a long, long, long time ago. Time ago. Like, like, I was probably, probably 11 or 12, so I don't yeah, remember anything about it. About it. Those but, man with no name movies I, are pretty I, great if you ever have a Sunday to kill and just want to, you know, watch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do I want to. Um, um, I, I, <laughs> I love I the, way the way Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis fucking, fucking handles guns. guns. I don't know how else to say this without sounding weird, weird, but the way, way the dude, dude handles guns is so smooth for a guy who did not come up as an action star at all. I mean, Die Hard and Die Hard 2 and everything else he did in the 90s. Yeah, helped him he get to that way. Into an action career at this point, or or, yes. or whatever. But it's isn't it weird to think that when we think of this movie, like in our timeline, we're like, oh, that's like later period Bruce, or like mid period. But he'd really this is only eight years post Die Hard. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> eight years now is a blink of an eye. When 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 I saw this movie in a the theater, like Wilson had an entire career, at least in my my head. You know, like Die Hard seemed like forever ago. And oh, absolutely. You know, like we're in this whole different era of, of Willis, of, you know, bald Willis and, and like whatever. Like it was just a different, he's not bald in this movie. Yeah. He's got hair, but like, uh, you know, it's just like, I don't know. It's just, it's so strange to me the way time, you know, fluctuates nowadays. Like something eight years ago uh, would be 2015. And that would 2015. And it would feel, wouldn't ring in like a movie like a you movie could see today. today. Yeah. Right. I mean, what came yeah, out in 2015? Yeah. Like fucking lego batman or something i mean it's not you know, sure yeah it doesn't feel that far off but to watch a uh you know a guy at the top of his game in die hard um and then you know a star hung up there to through you know 90 or, or whatever it was and and then you know it's he slowly started and part of it's him he did a lot of weird stuff in that amount of time you know he did you know like uh hudson hawk and death becomes her and uh you know, he's popping up in Pulp Fiction and, you know, all these other kind of directory movies, like North and all this stuff. And and then he tries to come back and, and play the big star again and, you know, stuff like this. And like I said, Mercury Rising yeah, yeah. just didn't really hit. It wasn't really until Armageddon and The Sixth Sense that he finally kind of shot back up. And then he sort of went down again and then up. And and he's just had that kind of career. And it's, it's super weird. But yes, you're right. The gunplay is awesome. I'm hoping those are his hands that do that. You don't really see him too much it sure seems like it though i mean happening. but yeah but yeah, yeah. they could have he is smooth like as hell with it yeah the the his twin 45s were were pretty cool mm-hmm. movie, so. that was a i thought that was a very cool aspect you don't see hardly anybody with you know two two guns yeah you'd have the old six shooter guys but nick cage uh in face off has a similar um Oh yeah, that's right. Gold, but you know, same thing. That's right. (laughs) But but no, I haven't seen Face Off in a long time. Yeah, how many people have it? I don't know. Oh, uh, Kate, I just want to see Face Off. Uh, It was playing at like the Times or something like that. Uh, We saw it on the big screen. Really? Yeah, for the first time since '97, and uh, that movie is still fucking totally fun. I mean, I've seen it a bunch. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time, but 
it's been a while since I watched it, and uh, it was cool to go see it again on the big screen. So, uh, but yeah, you know, there's, there's a handful of those guys, but it's it's not something you see. Uh, you know, you go back to the Hong Kong movies, stuff like uh, you know, Chow Yun Fat, Chow Yun Fat, yeah, yeah. two fists in it, but. Um, uh, all right. So, yeah, I mentioned that, you know, it's a, it's a play on uh, those other movies. But, yeah, the, the thing that really impressed me with it, the directing, the photography, cinematography, it's all these sweaty close ups and close ups of stuff like the guns and even just like the shoes the characters are, are wearing as they're walking. Yes. Um, it's got these fades and sort of superimposed images over stuff. And uh, right at the beginning, Willis, he, he spins an empty like hooch bottle at a fork of a road in the path. You know, it shows him where he's going to go. And he, he goes to this. Uh, old west looking border town called jericho uh but walter hill just does a hell of a job um and shout out okay so the, the editor is freeman davis he's on almost all of hill's films ranging from uh, 48 hours to trespass to streets of fire to red heat johnny handsome it's got a long list the production designer was gary uh weisner uh, of the abyss seven wyatt earp teenage mutant ninja turtles he worked with hill on 48 hours and the director of photography was lloyd heron and uh, he's also in three or four previous uh, Hill joints. So, and the other thing is the score by Ry Cooter, who... Uh, Ry Cooter, Ryan, yes. Yeah, he's a guitar legend in his own right, but he's been featured on several Hill films. And uh, I think Trespass, I don't know how when the last time was you saw that one or how much you remember that, but this score sounds almost identical to Trespass, and that's not a knock at all. The, 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 it, it's right. different in ways, but the, the vibe and tone and, and the way he's playing it is all the same, and... I always thought that score of Trespass was super cool, and uh, this one is, you know, basically the same. So it's super cool, and uh, yeah, all of that technical stuff just comes together to make this movie even better than it it would be. And, and you don't necessarily need all that. I think this has been a cool movie, no matter what. But uh, no matter no what, matter what right. right? Yeah. But speaking of our last movie, we're kind of like, man, this is just this has the, the fucking stamp of a low budget movie on it you know like it definitely <laughs> right. helps when you have a legitimate director uh, cinematographer uh, editor music and a star, star like, like willis, willis too you know. you know well not just willis this movie is an insane cast like it was, it was oh great cast yeah yeah it's totally stacked um what uh, is the name of the gentleman who is in um 48 hours and he's in this he's He's the, the head of the the, the one, one gang. gang. What's his real, real name? Is it like David, David Kelly, Kelly? David Lee oh, Kelly? Yeah, David Patrick Kelly. Yeah. David, David Patrick, Patrick Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. yeah. He, he he was, was kind of an underrated, underrated good, good part of this, of this movie, movie too. too. Yeah, I remember when we did Forty Eight Hours, we talked about him a little bit. He was in like uh, Ford Fairlane, and you know, just a lot of like crazy stuff. And he's yeah. he's just one of those actors who's kind of fearless and. And yeah, I noted him as kind of a, I don't want to say MVP of this movie, but he's one of those guys where, you know, he's doing something a little different than everybody else. I liked his occasional freakouts where he's just like yelling and screaming at everybody. Yes. And <laughs> yeah. When he, when he's, when he's mad, mad, he is, he is fucking, fucking mad. mad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I liked Willis's uh, voiceover narration um, and, you know, I, I recorded something. Hopefully it'll come through here, but it, it's a taste of Cooter's score and Willis, you know, kind of laying things out at the top of the film. And, it, and there, this movie is, I don't know, probably um, 90% stuff like this. It's just, uh, you know, Willis voiceover and, and uh, this cool score. So try it.
most of my life on the dodge. Drunk or sober, I got no complaints. Even if I did get my hands dirty all the way. All right, so that's just a little bit of that. Great, great, great score. score. Yeah, and that even even the uh, the guitar doesn't quite come through, you know, as as much as I'd like there. But but either way, um, yeah, and, and like I said, if you've seen Trespass, it definitely has that that same vibe. So um, uh, yeah, so he he plays this, uh, I guess, Chicago gangster who is is driving through this old west border town in Texas called Jericho. He like I said, he spin, literally spins a bottle of fork in the road and that's what leads him through there. And then he realizes it's kind of run by these two rivaling gangs, um, the, the Stasi's and, uh, the Doyle's, the Doyle's are Irish. Stasi's are Italian. They're both trying to take over this town or, or, or you know, rule this town, which I don't know why, cause it's not really much. Of a, <laughs> cause it's cause a it's dump. dump. Yeah. <laughs> but Willis makes some comment before about how, you know, these guys are kind of small time. He's seen real gangsters in Chicago and New York and, you know, these guys aren't it. And he just assumes he can make some money and he's going to play both sides. And that, that leads us to that sort of fistful of dollars, uh, you know, Jimbo type plot device. And that's exactly what happens. It just turns into this cat and mouse of, uh, you know, him going back and forth from, from both sides, he he pulls into town. He looks at this girl. She's uh, Native American, or, or or somewhat anyway. And then uh, the the guy sees guy sees her looking at her and says, "That's uh, Mr. Doyle's girl. You don't want to be looking at her." And he goes, "Oh, last thing I heard, this is a free country." And the guy busts out his uh, windshield and his headlight. And says, "Oh, if you want to take it up with the law, the sheriff's right over there." But uh, you know, he's not going to do anything. So he goes in to see the sheriff. The sheriff says, "Yeah, I saw it, but you know what? I'm not going to do shit." Sheriff is played by Bruce Dern, another great actor, just playing a and very good in this film. film. Yep, exactly. And uh, and he says, "If I was you, I would just get your uh, shit fixed and head straight on out of town. Put your spare on and head straight out of town." He says, or something like that. Yeah, and Willis goes into the bar, starts talking to the bartender and uh, finds out a little bit that these, you know, two gangs are kind of vying for this town. And that's where he, uh, oh, oh, the one thing the sheriff says, he says, if I was you, I would just get myself a, oh, he says, I would get your ass out of town, but if you're planning on staying, I would get yourself a firearm. And then he goes, okay. And he goes into the bar, he starts talking to this guy and the, and the bartender says, uh, I'm going to you know, tell you about all these, this, this gang robbery. And then Willis goes, okay, he takes a shot and he pulls out his twin 45s and a <laughs> twin 45 shoulder holster. And the guy's like, where are you going, mister? Whatever. And he's like, I'm going to go uh, see about getting my car fixed or <laughs> whatever he says. And then he just goes over and just blows away who I guess was supposedly the, the best shooter in, in the uh, Doyle gang. The, uh, uh, the, the scene, scene where he blows him, him out the door, door was pretty, was pretty awesome. awesome. Yeah. And uh, so he, yeah, that, that's another thing I was going to say. Every time a guy gets shot in this movie, uh, they, they they fly backwards with their hand and feet out in front of them like they're getting sucked backwards in some kind of weird <laughs> you know, turbine or TV. something. Yeah. Or almost yeah. like they're on like a trampoline that just, you know, or, or they're getting pulled back mm-hmm. by a huge rope or something. It's pretty funny. Um, the bartender is played by William Sanderson of uh, Newhart. But also he's in Fletch and Blade Runner and stuff like that. 
I was he's going to ask where I. Yeah, he's one of those. It's that guy. Like you've seen him in a million things. Yeah. Uh, Doyle, uh, played by David Patrick Kelly, that we mentioned. Uh, he's the head of the Irish Gang. Uh, Strazzi, played by Ned Eisenberg, is the head of the uh, Jericho Italian Mafia. Um, and then yeah, he straps his gun on, says, "I'm going to go uh, see the guy who busted up my car and have a talk with him." And then uh, in the in another voiceover as he's walking over there, uh, you know, that's where Willis says he's or informs us that he's kind of like a big city gangster type. Um, he's telling us he can just play the gangs against each other, maybe make some money. He kills Finn. Um, it's the guy who busts his windshield and headlight. Uh, it's our first demonstration of seeing those uh, those crazy gunshots like I was talking about. Then Strazzi hears about this and hires Willis. Uh, Strazzi says the two gangs have a truce that ain't going to last. Finn was Doyle's best guy next to Hickey. And they keep talking about this Hickey guy. We don't know who he is or what he's done, but they're like, oh, he burned down an orphanage when he's a kid. And he's had his throat slit and he's still alive. And he talks like this and blah, blah, blah. Um, but Christopher Walken's in this movie. So uh, I'm guessing <laughs> that's probably him. He took uh, his, own his own route. route. Yeah. <laughs> Doyle's guys are scared of him. Uh, he was in town two minutes and uh, he killed one of them. Doyle ain't going to do a damn thing with Hickey out of town. The only thing that Cockroach might try to do is hire this guy for himself. Uh, so Giorgio, played by Marco Imperioli of the Sopranos, uh, obviously. Uh, he doesn't like the idea of Willis coming on last minute and he doesn't like changes. And Willis, this is where he's like, well, I've seen the real thing and these guys are a long way from it. And... Uh, there's that smiling Undertaker across the street too. That's straight out of a Clint Eastwood movie. I mean, there, that's that yeah. one of them where he's, you know, they, they got these boxes like ready to go for all the guys who are going to die in the town and stuff like that. You got Leslie Mann in here as a uh, prostitute who won't shut her mouth. Um, won't <laughs> shut her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I, did I did laugh, laugh at, that. at that. Yeah, there's lots of lots of types or, or caricatures in this movie, and I thought that was. A cool thing and a, and a good touch. Um, Doyle's gang also offers Willis a job, which he accepts. Uh, and then it really just becomes this cat and mouse game of, uh, you know, Strazzi and Giorgio are, are pissed. Uh, but Willis tells Giorgio, you know, don't be a fool just because I don't work for you. Uh, I, I can still be your friend. I don't want to see your boss get hurt. So Giorgio leaves town. But then Willis tells Doyle that Giorgio's leaving town. And then, you know, Hickey comes back and then it's Christopher Walken. He enters the picture and, uh, you know, he doesn't trust them. And yeah, I mean, without spoiling too much about it, it's uh, it's it's one hell of a cat and mouse game with a great cast who all, you know, play all this shit perfectly. So, yeah, yeah. I, 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 enjoy I enjoy going, going into, into a movie, movie blind. blind. Like, like I, had no I had no idea, idea what this movie was going to be about. I knew that it took place in the 30s. In the 30s. Yeah. But, but otherwise, otherwise, knowing nothing, nothing and and not knowing about, about the, the Kira, Kira Kurosawa, Kurosawa aspect. aspect. Yeah, or, or you know the you Eastwood. Know, the Eastwood. Uh, uh, it was it was really, really cool, cool just to see how he would play everyone, everyone against each other. other. And he's you know he's fearless. He's in this town that is run by some bad bad, bad men. men. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, he uh, just he calmly, calmly goes about his business. <laughs> No, it's, in a badass way. Yeah, it's great. I mean, he's good in it. The whole cast is good. Like I said, it looks great. I don't know why this movie wasn't a bigger hit. I think it said something like it cost, like the budget was $67 million, which really isn't on the screen, especially for Whew. 1997. I mean, it looks good. Don't get me wrong. The movie looks great. It's yeah. just yeah. Where, where that is. 
Um, and it made 45 ish. So, and, and I don't know if that's just domestic, but, um, you know, so it didn't even make it budget its budget back. So again, it goes on the list of, uh, Willis flops and, and forgotten ones and whatnot. But, uh, I don't know. This is, I think I'd have to sit here and actually rank Willis's movies, but I, I'm thinking top 10 for me. And I don't know. He's, oh, he's an easily, interesting actor yeah. and has a lot of stuff. And so it's, it's hard to say, but, um, it's a great movie. I mean, no matter where you rank it, it's it's definitely a, a solid action movie and never boring. Uh, everybody in it's good. Yeah, yeah. Everything about it from a filmmaking perspective is good. Um, it's not super predictable. You know, it's it's one of these movies where like there's not a lot of surprises, but it's not as if you you know call the next scene and the next scene and the next scene. I, I always right, appreciated right. how they you know, played these two gangs against each other and, and didn't know exactly what was going to happen next or who was going to come out ahead. And um, I guess you got Christopher Walken on the one team. So, you know, it's probably going to come down to a showdown between Willis and Walken. And I guess maybe the ending leaves a little bit to, to be desired there, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a I Western liked, uh, and a gangster movie and it yeah. combines both of those very well. Well, I like that I like Walken, Walken wasn't, wasn't uh, overly, overly Walken. Walken. Yeah. It wasn't like he's uh, he, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he still has he still has some very entertaining scenes where he is Christopher Walken. Yeah, or he grabs the the Tommy gun and just shoots at the wall. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what we have not talked about in this movie is just sort of the badass male verbato of of this whole thing. You know, there there's so many scenes where it's just guys just being classic gangstery uh cowboy guys yep, yep. <laughs> you know? like somebody gets in somebody's face and they just get a little closer to them and they, they always have a, a great line and they're not afraid to you know draw their guns or shoot the guy or, or whatever and um yeah this movie is just it's it's badass from start to finish i, I don't know how else to, to describe this one but well, it says here the film was a box office bomb, grossing only eighteen million domestically. Uh, so that forty-seven is a worldwide number. <coughs> so, yeah, I mean, especially on a on a fucking uh, budget of sixty-seven million, that's a that's a huge bomb, which just doesn't deserve it, you know. And, and that happens to movies all the time. But it's a little weird to think that you know only a couple of years out of his quote unquote prime or heyday. And in the year before this yeah. was Die Hard with a Vengeance, and that movie was a huge hit. And I know it's tethered to the Die Hard franchise, but um, you know, still, you think uh, people would see this trailer on TV and be like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm down." Like, if you're down for Bruce Willis normally, yeah, yeah. if you're down for Die Hard, why would you not be down for this? Which is why, why I'm confused, confused as to why, why I, didn't I didn't either. Maybe reviews had something to do with it. Uh, maybe it was the promotion. Like, it's only got a 39 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so I, I don't know, but. Cinema I remember when you saw it. CinemaScore <laughs> gave it a grade of a C plus, so audiences coming out of it obviously did not like it. Uh, and I don't know why. I don't know, I don't know, what, know what. Yeah, what were we thinking back what, then? Uh, what, uh, people what people were. were. <laughs> exactly. I think I was a little. I I always liked it, but I think I felt a little bit like an apologist for it. Like I did a lot of these guys' movies, like later Seagal, later Stallone. Like I, I feel like I was like it's actually good. Like this is a fun movie to watch, but I think at the same time, it's just like, man, this is not diet. You know, people are not going to flock to this. They're not going to like it the way they do die hard or, or whatever else people aren't going to talk about it. I, I, I saw it coming after 
you know, I, I went to see that movie opening weekend just yeah, based yeah. on how many people were in the theater, the reviews it was getting. Um, but, and at the time I was even like, yeah, this is, this is a lower budget version of what Willis has been doing or what he should be doing. But I yeah, watch yeah. it now and I'm just like, man, this movie is, it looks fucking great. Like they, they couldn't even make a movie this good right now. I mean, they could, but they don't, you know, it's just, it's, yeah. yeah. It's it's mind-boggling. This movie looks, looks really, really cool. cool. It just we took it for granted back then. I think we were so used to stuff being bigger and better, and then you yeah, get a movie yeah. like this that seems like relatively slight and and lightweight and not, uh, uh, you know, this this uh, huge action movie like uh, you know a Die Hard sequel or something. And we we're just kind of yeah. like, yeah, whatever. I don't need to see another generic Bruce Willis action movie, and <laughs> and I get that, but yeah. yeah critics what they were thinking like why they didn't like this like what what the problem is i, I i've read some of the the blurbs on Rotten tomatoes and i i don't agree with them at all um i thought Rod this was a perfect, perfect movie, movie for, for even, even someone, someone like, like michael, michael imperioli. imperioli this is this, this was a, a good a role, role for him a good, a good you know, you know like everyone, everyone does, does a good, good job, job with their role even that bartender that we were talking about well, Roger Ebert wrote, Last Man Standing is such a desperately cheerless film, so dry and like conic and wrung out that you wonder if the filmmaker ever thought that in any way it could be fun. It contains elements that are often found in entertainment, things like guns, gangs, and spectacular displays of death. <laughs> but here, they crouch on the screen and growl at the audience. Even the movie's hero is bad company. The victory at the end is downbeat and there is indifference to it. This is such a sad, lonely movie. Now, I will agree uh, that, you know, maybe the ending isn't totally up to par and the hero's downbeat, whatever. But that happens in tons of movies. Not every hero is this, like, fucking, like, I mean, Bruce Willis by himself is a cottage industry of sad, lonely, downbeat heroes. Like, that's that's the last <laughs> that's boy. That's who he was. was. Yes, and, that's and, John uh, McClane. And and yeah, but John McClane was a little, he had like a winking, a little more witty, yeah, wise, yeah. So this yeah, is a little yeah. more subdued. But but what what do you think is more realistic? Some shit like this or the dude in Dire? Dire might be more fun, but that's not. Uh, I mean, uh, and, and I wouldn't call this movie sad and lonely. It, it's it's dry because yeah, it's yeah. it's a dust. It's it's no worse than a than a western or or a gangster movie. The kind of movie is trying to be. Does does Ebert think that? Uh, you know, your average Western is dry and wrung out and, and lonely and cheerless. Exactly. Or, or is that just the, I mean, I, I'm no Roger Ebert. I don't, I don't want to, but I wonder if he watched this movie now and, and he can't, he's no longer here, but, but any critic uh, who gave this movie a bad review. And, and if, if this was kind of the general consensus, why people didn't like it, dry, boring, desolate, yeah, yeah. Uh, rehash, whatever. If they were to watch this now, I think they would have a complete 180, at least, in terms of things that we're used to now, like you don't really get movies like this. This movie yeah, yeah. is, is a, uh, I don't know to, to, to look at that looking back on it now. Uh, we should also say this podcast is called the big four. Oh, it's 40 years later. This movie is from uh, 1996. 1996. So we're, yeah. We're talking 27 like, years 20 ago. Years, 27 years ago. That's still yeah. a long time. Uh, I think we can look back on it uh, with, fresh eyes but um again i thought it was cool even back then i don't know i, I maybe didn't think it was as cool i maybe wasn't as taken with the stuff i'm noticing now about cinematography and uh you know photography and and whatnot um but all that stuff is there even if you aren't thinking about it so i think why you like a movie even if you can't articulate like oh it was the 
the way the director did this or the way the score did this, like that's, that's also part of why you like it. And I think there was always something about it that I really, really loved and gravitated towards. And I'm glad people are finally coming around. I'm glad you enjoyed it and I didn't uh, set you up for (laughs) failure. No. Although I'm still waiting for the time where we disagree on something and we can really have it out because (laughs) so far we're we're pretty on. Our biggest disagreement was Tootsie and I was just like, "Eh, I don't care. And you're like, yeah, I don't really either anymore, but I liked it as a kid. You know, that's like the biggest yeah. <laughs> disagreement we've had. So, I, I, when you look at these movies in a in a different eye, it's it's crazy what it'll do to you. Like E.T. didn't do that, but Tootsie definitely did. Yeah, Tootsie, I'm like, why? Yeah, why was this a thing I held dear to me? I mean, and I don't want to, you know, again, like be the one that changes your. Perception no, no, it was my own, it was my own doing. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's weird to look back on some stuff like that, and and I, there's so many movies from when I was a kid that are you know, 30, 35, 40 years ago or whatever that I still watch on a regular basis, and I still think hold up a hundred percent. Sure. And there's sure. others that I didn't like back then that I I like now, and there's others that I like back then that I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking, you know? And it's just, uh, it's a weird thing. You have your ear to the to the streets as they say (laughs) um is there there been any sort of cult following to this movie at all or is it yeah it's gotten uh i mean you listen to people talk on twitter and stuff like that people like action movies people like willis or whatever they they cite this as a a good one underrated okay um yeah you know and then if you go on to um, Rotten Tomatoes. The the consensus is Last Man Standing's brooding atmosphere, immersive, artfully arranged action, prove intriguing yet ultimately insufficient substitutes for a consistently compelling story. Uh, sure, but at thirty nine percent, that's pretty low on the tomato meter. And yeah, again, yeah, that's I, just, I, agree, I agree totally. I think that's just coming out of this movie in nineteen ninety six with the knives out for for Willis and, and feeling that he's kind of a you know, his, his heyday is maybe past or, or they're just sick of seeing him in action movies and he should do something else. You know, I don't know, but sure. you know, this is after Pulp Fiction, um, you know, after a lot of the comedy he did, I, I would think people would, you know, appreciate and, and see that he can do different things. Um, first review here with its hazy, sepia, hazy, sepia tinged uh, lens and helped along by a film noir style narration. This prohibition era action packed crime drama has the look and feel of a classic. One guy gets it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Whoever that guy is. Well, that is Stefan Pape from Common Sense Media. I would say he's displaying well, some common sense on this media. <laughs> yep. uh, John J. Puccio, uh, Movie Metropolis. Makes no excuses about what it is. An old-fashioned shoot him up with an invincible hero. I think even that's selling it short, but he gives it a fresh review. Uh, He's not invincible, though. (laughs) Yeah, the first uh, bad one here, or negative one, Rob uh, Gonzalez. Film chokes to death on Walter Hill's dusty artistry. (laughs) Like, okay, guy. (laughs) Another positive one. Wry, cold, and confident, Willis squints and blasts his way through the film, a blazing pistol in each hand. True, you're not really, uh, you know, giving it a great, <laughs> you know, why it's good. But yes, I mean, and I'm wondering if some of these, these uh, quote, fresh tomatoes are, are things that have 
been posted more recently and uh, with a, you know, a reflective lens as opposed to, you know, from 27 years ago. Another one, Chuck O'Leary, uh, Walter Hill's Last Man Standing is an overlooked action masterpiece that perfectly blends the Western oh. and the gangster film. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing by the fact that they said overlooked, though, this this review was written uh, more recently. Uh, recently, yeah. Another, another negative one, slow-moving story is as dry as the desert wind that blows through Jericho. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then there's, you know, a smattering of ones that don't even have like an actual blurb and they just got the tomato and whatnot. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, Rotten Tomatoes is a tough barometer because it's another one of these things where it wasn't around back when it came out. So they've only got maybe, I don't know, 25 reviews of it. And it's like, that's not really a true critical consensus, but. Right, anyway. right. Yeah, not uh, not well reviewed or overly well reviewed, at least did not make a ton of money. Um, it, it was considered a, a flop or a bomb. And it's it's unfortunate. But um, it's also with Willis going through the stuff he's going through now, you, you can appreciate it even more because it's like, we're just never going to get something like this from him again. So all these people who turn their noses up to why is he doing a Western slash gangster movie? And you know, who cares? Uh, Go back and watch it. You're not going to get a new movie from him, yeah, and it's, yeah. even if you did, uh, nothing he's done in the last, uh, I, I don't even know how long has been as good as this. I'm trying to think where where his, I, 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 you probably have to go back to the fourth Die Hard movie in 2007 for me to. Yeah, like, uh, like I kind of liked, liked um, um, oh God, I can't God, think I can't of the name of the name movie, of the but. Movie, but... <sighs> It's the sequel to Unbreakable, sort of. Oh, yeah. Um, well, Glass? Yes. Because yeah. he it? had that little uh, stinger at the end of Split, where they showed that... Split. Yeah, okay, he's at the end of Split, and then Glass is the one he's he's in the whole thing. Yeah, that movie's not bad. There, there's He's got some, some, quote, good ones. I'm just trying to say, like, which one was the last time I was like, oh, you gotta go check out this Bruce Willis movie. Uh, I'm yeah, sure I'm yeah. forgetting something. There had to be something between Live Free and Die Hard, and then when he kind of stopped. But um, let me just pull him up real quick, just because I don't want to go out saying. No, that's no, right. That's and, right. And, and while, while you're doing, doing that, that, I was I was, I was thinking, thinking that today, today the, the the man, man didn't, didn't do, do much, much the last, last 10, 10, 15 years. years. Obviously, well, it was all and, video. And, uh, he, yeah, he did, all he those a ton of movies, but they were all like, yeah, ton of those. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, didn't do much uh, mainstream wise, I guess I should say. You feel you bad because, because he was, was a, a to me, very, very cherished actor. actor. I, I I loved him, him so much in Last Boy Scout and Die Hard. Yeah, that I was always I was always excited, and then I don't know. Why I didn't see Last Man Standing? What was the thing that that was holding me back? Well, like I said, I think we were just in a bit of a different time. Although high school and and whatnot, that's still when I just went to movies just to go to movies. And I certainly would see everything that, you know, my quote unquote, you know, heroes did. So the new Bruce Willis, the new Seagal, like even though they weren't quite at the same level and, and people stopped caring about them. I think the shelf life of an action hero is just a bit you know, short, you know, if somebody has been around making, you know, the same type of movie for 
10 years or, or seven or whatever it was for Willis. I, I think that's where people start to just sort of be like, eh, okay, I don't need to see every single movie he comes out with, but especially if it's not well reviewed and, you know, everybody, you know, isn't going to see it, but let me just, let me just go through his filmography here because I don't know if, if there's too many that have one this, this solid. Now there's a lot of flops in here, but starting with Die Hard, Okay. Cause you know, he was on other stuff. He was on moonlighting and he had a couple of movies like blind date and sunset and stuff in theaters. But so from Die Hard, you have In Country, which is not, you know, a hugely remembered movie, but you, you got a lot of kudos for it. Then he's in Look Who's Talking as the voice of the baby. Huge hit. Not really starting role. Die Hard 2. Massive, obviously. Look Who's Talking to. Bonfire of the Vanities. A bomb. But something we all know about. Lots of famous stars in it. Now, at 91, you yep, have yep. Mortal Thoughts, Hudson Hawk, Billy Bathgate, and The Last Boy Scout. Okay, God, ninety-one. Bathgate, Mortal thoughts. Hudson Hawk, Billy Bathgate, and the Last Boy Scout. Now, whatever you think of those movies, that is a fucking like that's a guy who's not just doing the same thing at all, and he did four yeah, of these yeah. fucking movies in one year. Four movies in one year, and they're all completely different. And I, I would argue, completely good. I know some people don't like all of those. I think Hudson Hawk is is great, and that's another one that's had a revisionist thing but I've i was like, gonna, ask, gonna you ask you about mortal, mortal thoughts, thoughts before. before love mortal thoughts yeah me, yeah, too. me too love it billy bathgate i don't remember a ton but I, th- I remember liking it when i saw it at the time i haven't seen it since probably 91 or 92 but um same same did like it last boy scouts obviously a classic 92 the player and death becomes her both terrific 93 Loaded Weapon 1 and Striking Distance. Now, he's just in there as an uncredited cameo in Loaded Weapon 1. That movie's a cheap kind of make-a-gun knockoff, but still, I was fucking, what, 15 at the time? Of course, I loved it. Watched Perfect. It all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Striking Distance. Now we're getting Striking into some distance. of this, uh, you know, kind of cliched cop movie stuff, but it's still a perfectly serviceable action flick. 94, Pulp Fiction, North, Color of Night, and Nobody's Fool. Now, if he's ever had a year <laughs> where he swung wildly from, uh, I mean, Pulp Fiction is obviously a classic. It's terrific. Nobody's Fool. Um, Paul Newman got an Oscar nomination for that. And I think Willis got a lot of kudos. Now you got North and Colored of Night. which <laughs> th- <laughs> These movies are objectively terrible, but eh, I could watch Color of Night right now if you ask me to. And, and probably North as well. You had the, you had the, uh, you had the, you VHS, had the VHS of it of when we lived, lived together on the yeah, Oakland, unrated Oakland. with all the yep. special yep. scenes from Europe or whatever. <laughs> that and that and Basic Instinct. I had the VHS uh, unrated before they you could really get them anywhere else. And I remember spending a, a premium nice, nice. to get them too. Ninety five, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Four Rooms and Twelve Monkeys. I mean, once again, a big action movie uh, with Die Hard, Four Rooms, kind of an eclectic Tarantino thing. Twelve Monkeys also doing something completely different. Ninety six, Last Man Standing and Beavis Do Butthead. Beavis, do butt- Beavis and Butthead do America. <laughs> I forgot he's in that. Yeah, Muddy Grimes. <laughs> 97, yep, Fifth yep. Element, The Jackal, uh, Broadway Brawler. I don't even know what that is. Uh, 98, Mercury Rising, Unforgiven, The Siege. 99, Breakfast of Champions, Sixth Sense, Story of Us. 2000, The Whole Nine Yards, The Kid, Unbreakable. 2001, Bandits. Uh, 2002 hearts war grand champion crocodile hunter now now he's starting to get into some shit here where like these aren't necessarily bad movies per se but it's like these are just not everybody's gonna go see all these movies just because bruce willis yeah, is in yeah. it. you know hearts war uh, tears of the sun 
which I actually kind of liked. Um, I did too. I did too. He's in Rugrats Go Wild, Charlie's Angel Full Throttle. I don't really remember that. Whole 10 yards, which is terrible because I love the whole nine yards. It was such a good surprise. And then they were just like, well, people kind of like this. Let's give a sequel nobody asked for. And then it was just this dumb cashing thing. Um, he's in Ocean's 12 as himself. Uh, 2005, Hostage and Sin City. Both of those movies are terrific. Uh, have you seen those? Hostage? I forgot about I don't remember Hostage. I know I saw Sin City, but what Hostage? Hostage, he's playing like kind of an older, beaten down uh, hostage negotiator who, you know, these these guys take over this house and he's got to try to rescue the young girl and boy inside. There's there's like a rich yeah, family yeah. in there. Um, I think it's, uh, who's the guy in um, uh, uh, The Whole Nine Yards? He's a comedian. Um, fuck. Matthew, not Matthew not Perry. Perry? No, no. It's, uh, it, he plays uh, one of the gangsters. Um, God, he's in Kevin Hostage Pollard. too. Oh, oh sure. sure. So he's in the whole nine yards playing this gangster uh, uh, who has this <laughs> ridiculous accent and stuff like that. He's super funny in there, but then he's in Hostage as this uh, guy who's got something stashed in his house. These people try to, you know, bust in there to get it, and then he's got his young kids in there, and Willis is on the outside as a hostage negotiator. It's a good movie. Um, okay, 2006. Okay. Alpha Dog, Lucky Number Slevin, 16 Blocks, Over the Hedge, Fast Food Nation, The Astronaut Farmer. Uh, there, there's more from that year. 2007, Perfect Stranger, Planet Terror, Live Free or Die Hard. 2008, Assassination of a High School President, What Just Happened. 2009, Surrogates. 2010, Cop Out, The Expendables, Red. 2011, Black Mamba, Setup, Catch 44. Now he's starting to get into some, you know, more... DVD stuff, but then in 2012, Moonrise Kingdom, Expendables 2, Looper. Um, there's even more in there, but they're video things. 2013, Good Day to Die Hard, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Red 2. Uh, 2014, Sin City, Dame for a Kill, The Prince. Uh, 2015, and now we're just getting into a bunch of straight to video titles. This is when you're getting into straight to video. Yeah. Okay. 2016, uh, Split, uh, among three other straight to videos. 2017, once Upon a Time in Venice. That movie was a little underrated. I thought it was okay. Then First Kill, it's straight to video thing. 2018, Acts of Violence. That's a video. Death Wish remake, which is, I think, underrated. It's not a great movie, but it's it's worth watching. And then two other straight to video. 2019, Glass, Lego Movie 2. Oh, that's pretty funny. He plays uh, Bruce Willis going through the ducks in, in Die Hard only in a, uh, no, in a Lego. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That was a great surprise. And then, yeah, now we just have nothing but uh, straight-to-video shit from there on out. So uh, Glass, Lego Movie 2 in 2019 was pretty much it, but he was already, you know, just kind of alternating between half-ass movies, you know, theatrical movies like Death Wish and Once Upon a Time in Venice and then all this other stuff. So, yeah, I I am going to say in terms of, well, Looper. Looper was a great movie. So 2012, Looper was probably the the last one in theaters that really looper expendables two before that um live free or die hard in in 2007 planet terror uh you know that stuff 16 blocks is really good and underrated in 2006 but yeah you got to go back a long way to to do that and and even if you think about something like 16 blocks it seems like old like late career willis but that's only 10 years after last man standing so yeah um yeah, we should listen, listen to a future, to a future episode, episode, and you might hear you us might talk, talk about, about 16, 16 blocks. blocks. Oh, yeah. Well, that uh, brings us to a nice little segue. What are we going to do next time since there's not really a great uh, 
1983 movie on the horizon for the next couple so, weeks. So <clears throat> I, I was I was on March 25th, 25th of 83. There's one movie for sure that I was wondering if you wanted to do, and that's The Outsiders. Oh yeah, let's do it. And and then there's Bad Boys with Sean Penn. Isai Morales. Yeah. Um, Wait, what week was that? That's the that's 25th, 25th as well. well. All right. We can do those two. But the All right. All right. the thing I was getting at was what we had talked about. Um, yes. When yes. we were talking about Last Man Standing, you said you'd also never seen 16 Blocks. And I said, oh, that's actually one of his good ones. Um, also similarly underrated. And similarly, people are kind of coming around to it now. Um, I did see it in theaters and I always liked it. Uh, we should do that. And then I mentioned it was kind of like a quasi- remake it's not a remake i mean it's just it, it it's a similar movie to clint eastwood's the gauntlet which is before you know our, our podcast timeline of 40 years so we're never going to do that one and we thought it might be fun to do that so yeah, yeah. listeners uh the 25th uh we will do or thereabouts we'll do the outsiders and bad boys and then uh we will make a special episode out of 16 blocks in the gauntlet I haven't right. seen either, so I'm looking forward to that. Oh yeah, all right, yeah. I haven't. I, I've seen them both. I, I love them both, but I haven't seen them in a long time. We'll see if my opinions change, or uh, who knows what. But or maybe you just won't like them. I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to see how it goes. <laughs> all right, everybody. Know. Thanks for listening. Remember to rate, like, comment, subscribe. That's the that's the big thing. And then eventually, uh, when we get uh, enough of these under our belt, we'll start uh, really hammering it hard on the social media and all that stuff. Hopefully, this microphone deal is working out. I don't, I don't know. We'll we'll find out. But. <laughs>